Okay, you've had, uh, we're in Matthew 6, and let's see, Don did uh, class a couple weeks ago, and Paul did last week, and uh, you have any questions about <clears throat> anything up to this point? Seems like it's been a while since <clears throat> I've been with you. Anything? Well, I want us to pick up tonight with the fifth verse, and uh, we're going to kind of get a running start at <clears throat> the rest of the Lord's Prayer, as Paul covered verses 5 through 8, but <clears throat> I think it will help us if we, if we back up and pick up there with verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. And they may be seen that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I, I'd like to do a little word association. Now, you know, this <clears throat> word association is a great way to find out what your secret thoughts are. That's a joke. <clears throat> I'm not sure i got a marker here to write with, but... <clears throat> So if I give you a word, you give me the first word that pops into your mind, right? So the word is help. Sickness. Okay. The word is sin. Forgiveness. The word is need. The word is relationship. Love. The word is communication. Silence. Listen. I was going to say marriage, but that wouldn't be a good word. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> you said it. I wrote it down. <laughs> <clears throat> the word is father. Son. The word is hallowed. Holy. Holy. The word is prayer. 
tough, wasn't it? We <clears throat> might need to do this more often, get you all in shape. So when we talk about prayer, what what is exactly is prayer? How do you define it? I mean, obviously we need to work on that one, right? We struggled with that one. How do you define prayer? How, how would you describe it to someone? Someone who has no concept or idea, they've been on an island by themselves forever, they don't know anything about prayer, and you were to describe it to them, how would you define it? Keep it succinct. Your communication with God about things He already knows. It's for our benefit and not His. Just made it up. I did. All right. <clears throat> Anybody else? No. Add anything to it? You want to take issue with anything James said? <clears throat> I think um, <clears throat> probably the best definition I've read says it this way. It says intentionally... Conveying a message to God. Intentionally conveying a message to God. Some people might describe prayer as simply talking to God. Um, it might be fair. Talking is a little bit more um, non-purposeful, isn't it? Uh, in its, at least in connotation. Uh, Romans 8.26, who, who will look that up for me and be ready to read that? <clears throat> Prayer is usually talking to God, but not always according to what the Scripture says. Romans 8.26. Somebody got it? Bob, you got it? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not, do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Seems to me like Scripture's pretty clear. There are times when you don't know what words to use. I mean, have you ever prayed that prayer with God that I want to pray here, but I feel like I need to pray, but I don't even know what to say at this point. And the Scripture's telling us there in Romans 8.26 that on those occasions, the Spirit of God actually works in us, through us, with even our deepest sighs, groans, that have no words to go with them. But the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. So it's not simply talking to God. It's not simply um, speaking to God about things. Sometimes there aren't any words for it. You got a question, Ken? Or are you just you just flexing your finger? Okay, <clears throat> sir. Sometimes it's it's just I think about prayer as just being with God. Okay. You know, All right. You know, when you don't really sense that you need something, 
But I think God is joyful when we approach him to, to get to know him. Okay. But isn't that, isn't that worship? Isn't, isn't that what? Isn't that worship instead of prayer? Well, I think, yeah. Technically, I guess that's true. Well, let's let's hone it down some. Let's see if we can get to what um, kind of uh, this this intentionally conveying a message to God. Uh, some people would say, isn't isn't uh, praying to God simply communicating with God? You know, James used the word communication. That's a good word, communication. But communication also has some connotations with it. It implies what? Two way. Two way. It implies that there's giving and taking of information here. And I think in order to be precise, the way Scripture describes this, that communicating uh, with God or praying with God is not, is not God talking to us. When God talks to us, how does He do that? <clears throat> By what method? Through His Word, through revelation. Illumination, you know, that's what the Bible is, is God speaking to us. So the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God and applying it to our lives, speaking to us. The problem we have, and this is the problem that, that people have when they, they consider prayer as a two-way communication with God, then the communication we're receiving from God becomes very subjective, right? It can become very subjective. So... I can interpret an inner feeling or emotion as God told me this when, in fact, that's a very dangerous thing to be doing, okay? That's why God's given us His Word that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's inspired by God, and God uses His Word to tell us exactly what He says. Now, someone walks up to me and says, God told me this, and I, was, I will ask questions. How did God tell you this? Well, I was praying, and God said this, or God impressed upon me this. I'm, I'm not going to say that God won't do that or can't do that, but I am going to say this. Make sure that you link, that you're able to hitch what you believe God has spoken to you to the Word of God. Make sure that what God said to you, what you're perceiving, you can verify through the Word of God. Okay? Because that's our ultimate authority. And that protects us from going off on a tangent. And, and some, of the, some of the questions out there in modern evangelicalism today have to do with people who have kind of taken a mystical approach to this relationship with God. I was sitting on my back porch and God just spoke to me. Well, that's a very dangerous thing to do. You know, that's new revelation. If God spoke to you, that, that can be considered new revelation, which the Bible's pretty clear that no one should add or take away from God's Word. Uh, this has stood the test of time for a long time, right? So to go in and, and casually start adding to it, you know, that's what, that's what um, if I can pick on them a minute, that's, that's what has gotten the Catholics in trouble. You know, they put... They put more emphasis on what the Pope says now as being more relevant revelation than what's been written in the past. We do just the opposite. We say, 
This is the Word of God that stood the test of time. It stood through years and years of, of the church examining it and proving it over and over and over. And we believe it's the inspired Word of God come from Him to guide, direct us. And His Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and illumines it for our understanding and application to our lives. And this is how God speaks to us. I pray to Him. I convey, intentionally convey a message to Him God speaks to me through His Word. Make sense? I don't send a message up to God and say, I'm conveying an intentional message to you. Help me. And God sends a message back and says, help yourself. It doesn't work that way, right? I go to God's Word and God says, put your faith and trust in me. Well, that, God's answering my prayer. God's speaking to me. And giving me wisdom, His wisdom, His perfect wisdom, for whatever situation I may be in. Um, <clears throat> so we need this word also intentionally as part of the description. Uh, people are always conveying messages to God. Okay? Right? People are always conveying messages to God. You've got somebody in your life that doesn't have, uh, they don't understand who God is. They, they, have, a, they, have, a very, um, they have a very atheistic uh, perception of who God is. They, you know, this, is, this is the message. They're, people, we're all always conveying messages to God, right? Our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, you know, are sending messages to God, and God's receiving them all. But an intentional conveying of a message is what prayer is. We, these messages that we're always conveying may not be helpful messages or good messages or uh, quality messages or any of those things. You know, For instance, you could be sending a message to God that God's not important or God's not relevant in this particular instance in my life or God does not care about me and my needs or God doesn't exist. You know, you, your actions, attitudes, thoughts could be conveying that message. Well, you wouldn't consider that a prayer, would you? You'd consider that just lunacy, probably. <laughs> Y'all are really serious tonight. I'm feeling a lot of pressure. Well, you've been gone, and we're just anxious to hear you're, you're getting back into the saddle here. You're, you're getting acclimated again, right? Is that it? So these messages that we're always sending, they're clear... Sometimes they're clear to us. Sometimes we pick up on them, but God always gets them. He's always receiving them and discerning them. So intentionally conveying a message to God. <clears throat> Let's make that our definition. I think that's a good one. Intentionally means what? On purpose. On purpose. You thought about it. It's premeditated, right? <clears throat> intentionally conveying a message to God. A good working definition for prayer. <clears throat> there are at least five different kinds of messages, prayers that we offer to God. Uh, one, you can ask God for anything, right? He says you have not. Why? Because you ask not. This is the most common and basic type of prayer. In fact, most of us, if this would probably characterize our prayers, we're always asking God, 
when we <clears throat> when we list prayer needs tonight we had we had a praise prayer okay that's a little bit unusual for us isn't it most of the time we're thinking about needs sickness things that people have going on in their lives where we're needing something from God to offset something that we think is not comfortable or helpful in someone's life. Um, <clears throat> so asking, asking God for things. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you shall find. Knock, it will be opened to you. God delights <clears throat> for His children to ask Him for things. You know, a father, a dad may get tired of that after a while, right? His children are always asking Him for things. But, you know... If, if your children are asking you for good things, things that you want them to have, how do you feel about that? Dad, I'm going to be working on my biology tonight. Would you let me read you this chapter, you know, while I do that? <laughs> well, sure. But Dad, would you read this chapter for me and then tell me what it says? Different ask, right? Not so delightful for dad. And I think we could say the same thing for God. God looks for us to ask him for things that, that are beneficial to us as his children and beneficial in his kingdom's work. <clears throat> Thinking about those things in that relationship rather than just always kind of a selfish, I want, 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 or need, 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 right? But he does delight in us asking for things that we need. You can also praise God or wonder about God or adore God in prayer. Psalm 145 verses 2 and 3 says, Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. Uh, let's see. James, look up Psalm 135, 1 through 3. 135, 1 through 3. I'm going to look up Psalm 113, 1 through 9. <clears throat> you there? Go ahead. 133. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servant of the Lord, who stands in the house of the Lord, in the court of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing his name. Is Psalm 113 says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So you can praise him or wonder at him, adore him. And this is a suitable and effective prayer. So when we're conveying this message to God, we can ask we can praise. What else can we do? About thank. We can thank God for things that He has done, He is doing, for who He is. Thank Him for His gifts and His acts. 
This is not the same as praising him for who he is, for that's his nature. But this is identifying specific blessings and actions from his hand. And the scripture is clear that we should thank him for all things, right? Give thanks in all things, because this is Christ Jesus' will for us. Um, <clears throat> we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Revelation eleven seventeen. Uh, I don't know if we want to take the time to read them, but Exodus 15, after the crossing of the Red Sea, Moses breaks forth in a song of praise to the Lord. It's a prayer. It's a prayer of gratitude for what God had done. They had just gone through the plagues where God broke the stronghold of Egypt and then brought them through the Red Sea, parted the waters, and Pharaoh is giving chase with his armies, having second thoughts for letting them go, and God overwhelmed them and wiped them out. So they break into a song. He leads the people in a worship song, a prayer of praise and thanksgiving to God. Uh, 1 Chronicles 16, 8 through 34, uh, another time where we see the, um, the people uh, giving forth in a prayer of thanksgiving to God for His blessings and His actions. We, <clears throat> we do pretty good at asking we do probably pretty good here. We tend to thank God for things that are easy to thank Him for, though, right? <clears throat> you know, Lord, thank You for life today, for the food that I've had today, for, you know, safety that I've enjoyed. Not so thankful for the cold, you know, or the cough that I have right now. But, you know, what's up with that? If I'm, be, I'm to be thankful in all things... What, what could God possibly do with that? How can I possibly approach that as something to give thanks for? I don't know. Maybe, it can be, Dave, can be a little bit of uh, Paul's action in 2 Corinthians, you know, where God says, I put this thorn in the flesh to keep you humble. You know, maybe we need to be humbled and dependent upon Him. Um, I can't, I can't deliver that presentation tomorrow in my own strength. I've got to lean on God because I'm hoarse and coughing, and if God doesn't do it, and then when He does, you give thanks because He's given you an opportunity to see how His strength works and how faith and trusting Him in situations is designed to work. Um, what about that bad report I got from the doctor or the call I got from my you know, auditor? All these things... You know, are things that we cringe at, that we want to run from, but the Scripture's clear that we're to look for all these things as opportunities to thank God for what He's doing in our lives. And that takes some engineering of the mind, doesn't it? It takes some rehearsing. How can I give thanks for this? Maybe I can't even recognize the path I need to go down to be able to give thanks for this. This was so hurtful. This is so... Uh, difficult. Uh, I'm going to walk away with this, but I'm having a hard time figuring out how I can be grateful for this. But I can take it in faith, knowing that God's producing something in me. He's doing something for me through this that's going to benefit me, even if I never realize what it is. So giving thanks in faith to God. So prayer uh, of thanksgiving is something that we, we should do faithfully. What else do we do in prayer? Confess, 
you know, we've been making that an intentional part of our Sunday morning worship for some time. And it's, to be honest with you, can I just be frank with you? We don't like it. We don't like it. Um, it reminds us, I think, of, of our tendencies to, you know, to be rebels toward God, to have bad attitudes and all those things. We would prefer just to spend time offering supplications to God, which is the asking. We'd rather ask God for things. I'd rather ask God to give me things than admit to God the ways that I've let Him down or disappointed Him or failed in living for Him. But yet, <clears throat> when you look at the Scripture, there's very clearly, very clearly a pattern, a gospel pattern throughout the Word of God. And that gospel pattern mirrors how we offer prayers very often, how we, how we do them in our worship services. When you look at Isaiah, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, you see that he begins with you know, adoration or praise. And it's very important when we approach God that we approach Him with that attitude, with a heart lifted up, acknowledging that there's no one like God, that He is far superior to us. As we do that, and Isaiah says this, he says, you know, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And after he saw the Lord high and lifted up, what happened? He saw the great lack in himself, didn't he? Woe is me. I am a man that's undone. I've got unclean lips. When you see the holiness of God, when you see the glory of God and his rightful position, when we get our eyes up, see what we do, we live through, we go through life day by day, we have a tendency to bring God down to our level. We turn him into another man like us. We humanize him. We lose perspective of his holiness, his otherness. When we take the time to be intentional about getting our eyes upward where God rightfully sits, the most high, the supreme being, sovereign, providential, holy, without sin, hallowed, when you start rehearsing those things, and your mind and heart climb up there, we realize how, fall, how far short we fall, right? So we're reminded of our sin, which then leads us to confession. It's not so bad. When you realize that confession really isn't that painful. Because of why? Why is it not painful? It's painful if pride has a stranglehold on my life. You mean I got to admit that I failed? I, admit, I got to admit that I'm not perfect? I got to admit that I made a mistake or I did this or that? But when we, when we come to the realization that it is what it is. We are all sinners. Humanly speaking, we're sinners. And confession, owning that, is not painful because why? Because Christ has paid for our sin. He suffered and died. He's already paid the penalty. All I'm doing now is owning it, surrendering it. And God says, if, if, you are, if you will confess your sins, that he is faithful to forgive. 1 John 1, 9. Which means he cannot refuse to forgive because of what Christ did on the cross. Because the payment has been offered, sin is covered. Well, great. I've got my eyes upward on God. I've realized how far short I fall, and it's easy for me. It leads me into my confession. 
And once I realize that God forgives because of Christ, Thanksgiving is easy, right? Should, should flow right into Thanksgiving. And coming out of Thanksgiving, then I'm ready to start praying for needs and concerns and to ask for the things that will please my Father and delight my Father rather than the things that are offered up in selfishness or self-centeredness or with a cockeyed view of life, right? So I've gotten myself aligned with God. I've gotten myself dealt, I've dealt with my sin, the things that have gotten me off path, got me looking at life wrongly. I've given thanks for those things and now I can ask God for the things that that come to mind, come to heart, that are available to me. I can ask with a heart that's prepared to receive answers in the way that God wants to give them. Maybe God answers my prayer no or not now. So I can pray that and trust him with it even though I may not like the answer he gives because I've walked through these paths. If I just go straight to ask, you know, that, that's more reflective of a child at Christmas going to the mall and climbing up into Santa Claus' lap and saying, here's what I want for Christmas. You know, here's my, here's my list. Right? Okay. So we thank Him for His gifts. We confess our sins and tell the Lord that we are sorry. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Psalm 32, 5. Psalm 51, obviously, is David's great confession of his sin with Bathsheba after being confronted by Nathan. In Ezra chapter 10, all the people owned the sin of intermarriage after God had forbidden and, uh, and offered a prayer of um, confession uh, to him for that. There's a fifth thing that you can do in your prayers. Any takers? You can complain in your prayer. <clears throat> huh? Sure. David did a lot. Um, his imprecatory psalms are, are uh, something to read, you know. He's kill them. Kill them, you know. Um, that's a complaint. Not happy with the way things are going. You can complain to the Lord. Uh, Psalm 142, 1 and 2. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. Now, are we saying that it's good to have a complaining heart toward God? Or for God? With God? That's not what we're implying here. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So how do we reconcile the verse in Psalms that I just read? I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell Him my trouble with Him with Philippians 2, 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. How do you reconcile those verses? One says complain, the other says don't complain, don't grumble. Am I saying it's okay for you to complain to God, to go in and have your session where you just unload everything and complain? It's not good to have a complaining heart. I think that's clear. The heart should trust God 
should trust him in all his sweet and bitter providences, both sweet and bitter, then what do we mean by you can complain to God, to the Lord? Sometimes we do complain. Sometimes our hearts are given to grumbling, right? We don't understand why things are going the way they are. We don't like them. And so I, I think at the bottom, the bottom of this is that God would rather have us bring those complaints to him than pretend we don't have them when we do. Does that make sense? Bring them in. He, he's a big God, you know. He can handle it. He already knows what's in the heart. So I think you're closer to going to God and saying, you know what, I don't like feeling this way. I know this is probably not healthy for me, but honestly, I really got a gripe about the way the day's gone. I really got a gripe about the fact that you haven't answered this prayer yet. Now, that gives us a more healthy approach to God, owning it. We're not being hypocritical. We're not being... Uh, duplicitous with God because he knows already so just own it and it gives us an opportunity for God to bring healing to the heart to relieve the heart of the bitterness and the complaining and to be able to walk through whatever he's put before us in faith trusting that he is up to good that he's a good God not a punitive God and he is working this out for our good and when we pretend that we're not complaining Oh, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. But down secretly, we're not good with it. Then that's just pure hypocrisy. So I think this is more about just owning it. Not that you ought to have every day a complaining session with God, right? If that's what's characterizing our prayers, we've probably got some other issues that need to be dealt with. A couple steps back up the, to the ladder. Any questions so far? Just complaining is conveying, intentionally conveying a message to God. But I, I think about when they were on the brink of the promised land, they were complaining. They complained all the way. Well, they were, yeah. They were less than 30 days out of out of Egypt and they were grumbling and complaining. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that had to get old. Sure it did. I mean, that's what got them into trouble. That's what drove Moses crazy. You know, is that Moses was listening to that all the time. And that's why he would lose his cool with them. That's why he, you remember, he struck the rock rather than speak to the rock. And that's what kept him out of the promised land. And the reason he did was because he was so angry at the people because of their grumbling and mumbling is that they didn't trust God. And that's, that's at the heart of our grumbling and complaining, isn't it? God says, all things are working together. Synergy, friction, good and bad, working together for those who love me and are called according to my purposes. So when something negative, something unpleasant is happening in my life and I'm complaining about it and I'm preaching to myself here, when, when I'm complaining about it, when I'm unhappy with that, I'm saying essentially, I don't trust you, God. I can't believe that promise that you made that you're making all things work together for good. I'm saying, I have a better view of this than you do. You're not paying attention. And this is not fair that I'm having to do this. So going in and admitting that and saying, I realize I'm complaining about this and I know this is not healthy for me and it's not delighting your heart. I'm owning it. What I need is for you to help me change my attitude and be able to walk in faith through this, not complaining. 
not grumbling and murmuring, but trusting Him, which is the sign of maturing in the faith with God. But that's a great connection to the children of Israel in the wilderness. <clears throat> what about... Can, can our <clears throat> trusting be questioning? You know, all things work together for those who love God mm-hmm. for good according to His purpose. Right. Is it... <clears throat> sometimes when things happen that we don't understand, but we believe the truth of that verse... Romans 8.28 Is it wrong for us to say God I don't get it. Sure. I don't. That's wrong? No I'm saying no. That I mean I would think that's a, that's a heartfelt prayer that's coming from someone who doesn't understand. What, what was the um, um, the father of the epileptic? You know, that cried out, look, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, I believe, I trust you in this, but I need help. You know, I want to believe, I want to trust you in this, but I need you to help me. You know, to help me get through this because everything in me wants to complain about this. Everything in me looks at this and says, this is not right. There's no way this can be good for me. The cold or, you know, a diagnosis from the doctor or, you know, when a, a, a six-year-old child suddenly dies and the parents have every right to look at God and say, this doesn't make any sense. How can this possibly be good? How can this possibly be good? Yes, there's a complaint there. The problem is not asking the question, Bob. The problem is wallowing in the question day after day after day after day. Does that make sense? Yes. So, yes, God says, come to me with how you feel. He already knows. I might as well come in and say, you know, I feel pretty lousy about this, and actually I'm pretty angry at you. You know, I'm pretty angry. I don't think this is right. This is so unfair. This is so ungodlike. How can this bring glory to anything? Now, with that said, am I going to hold on to that and let it fester and continue to fester and, and pridefully guard it as my right because I'm passing judgment on God? Or do I say, you know, I just you got to get me through this, this angry disposition on it because I know this is not right. I know what your word says and I want to walk in it. So it may take me a few days or a few weeks to get there, but but it's it's learning how to release that and to actually trust God even when I can't see what He's going to be doing or how He could possibly make something good come of it. His Word says it, so I have to believe that. And and I think we work through those things, and I think God's patient with that. And I think that's the whole point behind. You can complain in your prayers. I mean, God would rather have you bring it to Him and be honest about where you are with it. Because until you're honest about it, he can't get you past it. You know, you're saying, oh, yeah, I'm trusting God on it. But down deep inside, you're seething over it. And you're growing more bitter toward him every day. How could he let this happen? How could he let, how could he let my, my mother die or my spouse die? Or, you know, how could, he, how could he let my child die? Or, you know, contract this, this horrible disease? Or, 
any, any number of things. And we all know what that feels like to, to have it happen to us or to see it happen to somebody close to us. And, and we can relate to it. But we, the thing I've found that we have to continue to rehearse for ourselves, remind ourselves, in spite of what we believe about God, is that God is not a punitive God toward those who are in Christ. Everything that we deserve any kind of judgment from God from, punishment from God, has been taken by Christ. Christ has exhausted our punishment on the cross. So God wants only the best for his children. Now, we live in a broken, fallen world, so that means we continue to encounter the repercussions of that. Uh, it doesn't mean that God sent some punishment toward our way, but God's saying, yes, this has befallen your family. This has happened to you or you're someone you love very dearly. I'm going to use it. I'm going to bring goodness and glory out of this, and you have to trust me because that's what I do, you know. You may not see it today. You may not see it tomorrow or 10 years from now or 20 years from now. You may not see it this side of glory. But we, but we grow in trusting God is because we trust His character. We trust His history. We trust what the Word of God says about Him. It's going to happen. It's going to happen at some point, even if we don't know it till we get to heaven. Now, yes, sir. Another extreme example of complaining actually on the heaven side is a Revelation chapter 6 where the saints who were slain for the war they are like crying yeah. pretty extreme actually asking for vengeance yeah how long oh lord like how long how long yeah that's a good one interesting and God's not dishonored by that you know because they're crying out for righteousness you know for righteousness to, to occur that's good when um, David laments like that do we know that Yeah. Well, I always, uh, Taylor, I always go back to the fact that God, God very clearly claims David was a man after his own heart. Uh, David made, David, David made mistakes and he, he failed on a lot of occasions, but he's the perfect example of what we're looking at when we think about the grace of God, that God was not saying David's a perfect man. He's saying that David is a man that loves me, and yes, he's a broken man, and he makes self-centered decisions out of his brokenness but ultimately David loved the Lord and you see that in Psalm 51 on the heels of the Bathsheba incident after Nathan confronts him mm -hmm. and um, and David writes this psalm out of his out of his repentance and his anguish over his sin you know restore to me the joy of my salvation well he had been a year or more in the throes of this guilt you know, over his condition, and, you know, it, it's a bittersweet moment when he finally owns it, he's finally exposed, because there's a relief that comes with that, um, but in that, in that year of guilt and the burden of, you know, the mistakes I've made and the, the repercussions of that, and the and the, I mean, think about the, the misery that he's brought upon other houses and homes and people, um, you know, because of his selfishness and how that affected him during that time. Uh, he was a pretty miserable man. And so 
you know, the imprecatory psalms, I, I don't read those as something that I feel David's not vindicated from. You know, I, I feel like they're in there to show us that this is okay mm -hmm. to feel these That's ways. And sometimes there's certainly time, I mean, we, we've, got, we've got heinous things that go on in our world constantly, mm -hmm. you know? People talk about this. I mean, we, we're on this social justice, you know, focus craze. And um, I was in, um, and and there's a social justice is a broad issue. You know, it's a broad issue, and one of the most ignored aspects of social justice, in my estimation, is the sex trafficking trade. Uh, that people, young kids, are being abducted and sold into slavery and used for sexual pleasure, you know, taken from this side of the world to another part of the world, never to see family or friends or anybody again, and, and they have no ability to escape this. Um, you know, something, David Platt wrote a book recently called Something Needs to Change. You know, there's, there's young people that are powerless, absolutely powerless to do anything for themselves that are suffering like this. Um, Am I wrong to pray God's judgment upon people perpetrating these things? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think that's a prayer that, that honors God because I'm crying out for righteousness, for justice, for the helpless, for the innocent, for the martyrs. I don't think God... I'm not saying, Lord, let me take a sword and cut their heads off, you know, and, and exact vengeance on them. Um, he hasn't called me to that, but I certainly am praying for judgment. I can pray for their redemption. That would be an even more gracious prayer. But sometimes the egregious nature of some of these sins, I think we blurt out, Lord, kill them. You know, get, get them off the face of the earth. They're, they're, look at what they're doing to these, these people, these innocent people. They're ruining lives. And, and, I mean, our nation, you know, has killed 50 million babies in the last 50 years. Think about that. 50 million people that would be walking around, generally speaking, today are not here. Of all ages from, you know, from zero to my age. And think about the, the gifts that this world's been denied. Think about the intelligence and, and the creativity and, and talents and things that have been denied in this world. And, you know, who knows how many other Einsteins would have been born and how many other great leaders, you know, Abraham Lincolns and people would have been walking the earth today. We, we lament some of our current political leadership and, and some of the things and shenanigans going on. Who's to say that there was a couple of leaders in that line of 50 million that would have made a huge impact in the lay of the political landscape today had they lived? That's the way my brain goes. So I think in those instances, you know, I go, Lord, you know, these people that are standing in the way, they're, they're, they're pawns in the enemy's hand, judge them. Judge them. How long will you tarry? How long will you let this go on? You know, what can we do? Um, so it's some of both, I think. Uh, let's see. Got a ways to go here. How, how about uh, any other questions? I'm thinking we'll stop right there and we'll pick up there next week because we weren't going to get the whole thing in this week. It, it was going to be a two or three parter here. So I'll just ask for another question.
follow-up, commentary, rebuttal, argument, debate. Um, did, did Job complain? Job did not. I mean, he, he did, sort of. Job, Job did not. You remember his wife told him, so why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you complain against God and just let him kill you? And Job said, are we to you know, receive the good things from God and not, not these difficult things? That, you know, are we to take the good and not the bad? I mean, what's, what's up with that? But later on with his friends, his so-called friends, that were constantly bombarding him with their arguments as to why he was guilty of something. He, they, they accused him of being guilty of sin. God's judging you and punishing you because you're guilty. And, and at some point, Job finally had enough, and he did begin to complain, okay? And that's, and that's when you get to chapters 38 and following, you know, where God reads him the riot act. Oh, Job, you know, where were you when I carved out the seas, scooped out the seas of the ocean? Where were you when I cast the stars into the sky? Where were you when I created? I really could have used some, a guy as smart as you. I could have used your help. You know all things. I mean, God just really ripped him one, you know? And it's on the heels of that. I mean, so there was, some, there was some anger that was festering in Job's heart, and God purified him through that process. You get to Job 42, verse 5, and Job says, I knew of you by the hearing of the ear. Now my eye sees you. You know, he clearly got, got changed, transformed. I mean, he was a righteous man, God said, before this began. Okay? He was a test. And, and through that, God purified him, refined him even more, and Job recognized that. So he ends up, he's not complaining. He recognizes, and God replenished everything he had and multiplied it. You know, I don't know how you stack that up. You know, I lost 10 kids and all the grandkids and, and all this stuff, but now you've given me 10 more. <laughs> I, don't know how you, I don't know how you stack that up. Maybe the second 10 were better than the first 10. I don't know, but... <laughs> Um, but God, but God honored him and his righteousness through that. But at the same time, he purified him through it. So yeah, he did complain, but it was kind of tongue in cheek because his friends revved him up and brought that out of him. <laughs> Anything? All right. Stay warm and healthy. Don't get sick. We don't need any more of that. And we'll take up there next week.